3: Hello, it's Tuesday 7th of April, I'm Andy Brassel, she's Jules Breach and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. It's a quick, silly decision based on trying to save a few quid and we're talking maximum, uh, there was talk about, I think it's 750 grand a month, which even if it was 6 months, 12 months, it's not a problem for Liverpool to pay that money. Why should the government be paying that when football... Can pay it and look after itself when that money could be used elsewhere. Hey, Jules, how are things today?
4: Not too bad. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, it's been uh, another, can you believe we're in April already? It's been another week of living in quarantine, living in our homes and working from home. But yeah, it's been a bit brighter. The weather's been quite nice, hasn't it? So even though I've not really been outside, I've been trying to get as much sun on my face through my window in my little loft apartment, which has been, yeah, it's been all right, hasn't it? How about you?
3: You know, everyone has their, their, their football milestones, don't they, of stuff they miss. And right about this time in April, it's normally Bayern versus Dortmund. So ah. that's that's made me twitch uh, a little bit. Of course, I think we've all sort of had to come to terms with life without any actual live football. But look, there's so much other stuff to, to talk about anyway. And, and one of the first things I wanted to talk about this week is um, Liverpool reversing their decision... To put around two hundred of their non-playing staff on on furlough. Furlough is a, a word. It's probably the word of twenty twenty, just like metatarsal was ab- <laughs> a, a, about eighteen years ago when uh, when David Beckham got his cracked by Aldo Ducher of um, Deportivo La Coruña. Anyway, um, because there was a lot of criticism for Liverpool um, for for looking for government assistance. Uh, during the coronavirus crisis, when, of course, they're one of the richest clubs in the world. Um, Well, in fact, they're the seventh richest club in the world, I think, by the last um, Deloitte Money League. Um, And there are a lot of people upset by this. You had um, one of the supporters groups, um, the the major supporters group, the Spirit of Shankly, coming out and asking uh, Peter Moore, the chief executive, for an explanation for this and talking about the damage this is causing to our club's reputation and values. That that was the, the exact quote. Um, and um, you had a few uh, local MPs having a go as well. And then um, uh, Peter Moore on Monday, late on Monday, um, put out an open letter to Liverpool fans. And um, part of it said, a range of possible scenarios were considered, including but not restricted to applying to the Corona Job uh, Virus Job Retention Scheme, which pays eighty percent of salary and guaranteeing the twenty percent payment, i.e., the other twenty percent um, that the non-playing staff would have been owed. Applying to the Corona Virus Job Retention Scheme with a guarantee to reimburse monies received at a later date, and thirdly, finding an alternative means to cover our furlough costs. And anyway, he did. He did say. Um, he was he was he was truly sorry and um, he thought it was a mistake despite having warned of, of quite a big impact on the club finances and, and that's the case for every club out there um I mean Jules it's, it's, it's not as if Liverpool were the only club in the Premier League who've m- sort of considered using this scheme is it
4: no exactly and, and look I, I completely understand why there was such a backlash about Liverpool going with this decision in the first place. And I think that they they had to reverse this decision, didn't they, after yeah. how much was said about it. It was inevitable that that decision was going to come. And I think rightly so. The interesting thing about all of this is, as you say, Andy, they, they weren't the first uh, Premier League club to to go to the job retention scheme put forward by the government. There have been other clubs that have done it that haven't received that backlash. I was doing a little bit of research and it, it was quite clear to me there's about four other clubs that had actually taken part with the job retention scheme, haven't mm. they, Andy? Why do you think it is that those clubs haven't received the same amount and the same level of backlash that Liverpool did?
3: Well, um, the, the other ones in the Premier League are Newcastle, Tottenham, Norwich, and Bournemouth, as far as we're aware at the moment. Um, I think part of it is, is the whole global dimension of, of of Liverpool. And obviously, that's something that's particularly prominent at the moment because they're so successful on the pitch with the Champions League and Premier League to follow. Um, but I, th- I think, without getting into huge generalisations about those other clubs, I think people are relatively suspicious of the ownership of Newcastle and, and, and Tottenham in particular, if we're being perfectly honest and I think um, in a lot of cases people have just rolled their eyes and gone Well, well that's typical of the people who 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 run that that club um although I'm if I'm not mistaken from the Newcastle and Tottenham fans that I've spoken to they're not that happy about uh, about what's happening either in terms of their club taking advantage of uh, of, of these schemes and I do wonder particularly with Tottenham and we're talking about global profile, whether they will do something and whether they will come under public pressure to, to row back after that. But I think Liverpool are held to higher standards. If, if, if we're being honest, Um, because they have this worldwide reputation because they're in the top 10 richest clubs in the world. So there's a sense that they shouldn't really need the money, but then you look at how they, they brand and, um, you know, you look at the uh, advertising boards around the pitch, and I was I was playing FIFA with my with my son yesterday, actually, and he was, he was playing as Liverpool, and um, the little signs that they have on the advertising boards are incredibly accurate on FIFA, and that mm-hmm. one that says "This means more" pops up all the time, and yeah. if you're gonna frame yourself as that well it's a bit like barcelona and messi and club more than a club you've got to be prepared to to live up to that if that's part of your branding
4: yeah i completely agree and and i think that because of that that is why even fan supporter groups of liverpool held the club to account on on this issue as well because they wanted to actually you know make make a stand against this because they clearly felt that it didn't follow the morals of what the club ordinarily kind of out there if that makes sense like you're explaining yeah. and I, I think that what's come out of this really is that it feels more clear now from the football community that most people are in agreement that the job retention scheme that the government have put forward isn't really intended or designed for Premier League football clubs but if that is the case then surely that's the same for any other companies with a huge revenue or with employees earning more than a million pounds a year. And then it's the government's job to maybe specify that that type of scheme shouldn't be used by those types of businesses, if that makes sense. And I think also one of the kind of morals to come out of this as well is that as football fans, we're all so passionate about our clubs that we support. And we also are very aware of how powerful our football clubs can be and the ability that our football clubs do have to set the tone and set an example and i think that's probably why these the liverpool fans were so upset by the initial decision to furlough their staff because they can see that if if people then will accept that a company a business as as profit-making as Liverpool is, are going to take advantage of a scheme like this, then other businesses might then do the same. And that's not how Liverpool want their club to be perceived, especially in this situation right now, it's the lower league clubs that need that help. It's the health services that need that help. And we, we all know that everyone is suffering financially right now. Pretty much every single person I know, all of my mates, everyone I know, yeah. it's suffering financially in some way, whether that be small or large. But some businesses, and I, of course, include the top tier European football clubs in that, are able to take a hit and it not impact their business's existence.
3: Yeah, I've, I think that's fair to say. Um, but I think the, the other thing we have to absorb and the, the thing that Liverpool fans and particularly the spirit of shankley have to be congratulated for is the, the fact that you were saying how passionate we are about our football clubs, Jules. Yeah. We also, and this is something that we frequently see in fans' crossing swords when they have something to criticize another club over uh, whether it be ticket prices or 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 anything else is the fact that we feel our football clubs reflect us they reflect our personalities and um you know it's very important to those Liverpool fans how Liverpool are perceived nationally and 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 globally and um uh, that's something that means a lot to them and I think People can take a lead from Liverpool fans here, actually, because and the Liverpool fans who got involved in in this and took the club quite rightly to task over this, because I think sometimes as football fans we can see um, our clubs as reflective of ourselves, but not realise the power we have to bring them in line with what they feel, what we feel they should be. I think sometimes football fans, particularly in the UK and um, in, e- in England, don't recognise what power they have and um, we're seeing it at the moment because you know people are, are have got a bit of revulsion about the prospect of for example the premier league or other leagues restarting with any without any fans in the stadium now that's something that might be logistically impossible if clubs financially need to get this show on the road again sooner rather than later and we'll have to see how that all pans out but we forget sometimes in a way that they don't forget in Germany, for example, the fact that for it to be a great television spectacle, the Premier League, the stadiums need to be full. The clubs need the fans a lot more than they publicly admit and a lot more than they behave like they do at times. So um, that's something that I think really should be Taken from this. And again, maybe Tottenham fans can or, or take something from this because it is really important, I think, for fans to realise the power they have and not be like a lot of Premier League fans have been in the past, so blindly protective of their club. So I don't know if I'm a Manchester United fan and I'm going, oh, all right, I-, I had to pay 62 quid for Arsenal a- 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 away. There seems to be a lot of whataboutery in that sort of situation. In that, you know, um, an Arsenal fan, for example, might respond in that situation. Well, other clubs' tickets cost a lot of money as well. And you think, well, hang about, this is about money that's coming out of your pocket as well. Mm-hmm. You know what we've not been very good at, I think, as English football fans. Some sometimes is supporter unity, and this is a very, very good example of how if fans get together for what they feel is the right thing they can actually change things and they can actually make things happen.
4: And that's exactly what they've done in this situation. I think fair play to Liverpool Football Club for listening to their supporters and acknowledging that they'd made the mistake. I think for some fans, it probably still has left a bit of a bad taste that... They made the mistake in the first place, but I think moving on from it, at least the club listened and they got to the right answer eventually. And I think common sense has prevailed in the end here. Um, Moving on, Andy, from the top of the Premier League and, and back down into the lower leagues of the football pyramid, because... On last week's Jules and Andy, we talked extensively about the decision that was made um, for non-league football in steps three to seven to end immediately with no promotion or relegation. And then we also then found out in between the last few days, uh, from the last show up until now, that the National League have suspended their leagues indefinitely, just the same way that the Premier League and the rest of the Football League have done as well. So with that in mind, we thought we would speak to someone who was directly impacted by this and we got on the phone to Danny Searle who is the Aldershot manager Aldershot play in the National League they're in 16th place at the moment four points off the drop and they've played 39 matches so far this season and Danny spoke to us a little bit earlier and he explained what the club are doing for the fans during this indefinite break
5: yeah well I was sitting around the other day which I've been doing quite a lot recently and um and I was thinking, I got off the phone, phone to my, my father and, and we'd had a great chat. And my, my partner, Claire, she was talking about um, her, me giving her dad a call because we like to talk about football. And and I just thought, you know what? We was we was watching Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway and they were sitting on their sofas and they're in isolation. And they're, they're a weird pair, those two, because no matter what they do, they kind of make me feel better about myself. They They've got this kind of infectious morale boosting personality and, and I thought you know what I spoke to our media guy and I thought you know what let's let's try and do something that's going to hopefully boost a little bit of morale for for our supporters and we come up with the idea and and you know we've we've had a couple of phone calls so far and it's, it's gone really well and they've been very appreciative of, of, of our time which is obviously very minimal and and to be honest not a problem at all but it's amazing how those 15, 20-minute, 10-minute conversations have, have helped and hopefully gained a few more sort of points from my perspective um, for the club so that we, we, get, we carry on getting their support.
4: It sounds as though you are keeping yourself very busy, Danny, in, in this kind of weird time that we're in at the moment. So let's talk a bit more about how it's been for you and for the players. What's been the mood like amongst the team and your coaching staff as well?
5: It's been a difficult one Jules to be honest because obviously there's so much uncertainty about it you you trying to we're trying to put activities on we basically implemented our off-season program early so that the players can keep themselves fit and active we're using various apps to track their movements we we've uh, penciled in some conference calls this week and some video calls where we're going to do some exercises together and We sort of, we nicked that one off Mourinho and Spurs because I really liked what they did then. I thought it was a a good good morale booster. Um, But the questions are constantly being asked because one thing that does happen in football a lot is everybody talks to everybody. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a friend who knows a friend who knows a friend who's got the information. And they're all coming up with all these random answers of how they think the league's going to finish or not finish or be carried on. And it's trying to keep them grounded enough to, to be ready that if it does start, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a good position physically, um, but obviously mentally ready that it might be over and we need to start planning for next year. So we're doing the best that we can, but I'm not going to pretend it's been easy because it hasn't. And I know that obviously there's far greater things going on in the world at the moment than, than me planning my potential end of season or next season. But from a, from a professional perspective, it's been difficult to try and manage that.
3: So, Danny, we all know um, how affected uh, clubs below the the top few tiers in English football are in terms of match day income, which makes up um, a far larger proportion of of the revenue for for, for clubs in in the National League. Um, But on the other hand, one thing that you do have in, in the National League is shorter contracts I mean is this a freedom that could possibly help you compared to say clubs in league one or league two in the aftermath of all this
5: yeah definitely I, I, I mean we the, the, historically in our league um, most clubs contracts will begin in June and end beginning the May obviously with the contingency of playoffs etc the the bigger the league's got in the sense of the the type of clubs that are in the National League. Now, if you look at the amount of former league clubs and, and quite high level league clubs that are now in there, more and more teams are giving out uh, two and three year contracts. From our perspective, we've got quite a large proportion of, of players on short-term contracts, which from a financial commitment perspective, obviously works out quite nicely. However, it does cause uncertainty because if the league were to decide to carry on in may and june theoretically we would have to reissue contracts to our players because they would be within their right to turn around and say they, they don't have to play or don't want to play I, i'd be shocked if they did but there is that danger so there, there's obviously two sides to the to the coin to that one and i think from our perspective we just we just want to know roughly what's going to happen and And then we can start A, planning if we need to finish this year uh, and B, start planning for next year because there are a large number of our players that we do want to retain for the the following season.
4: And with that in mind, Danny, how, how do you think that this postponement to the league will affect young players coming through the system? Will it actually be a positive or a negative thing?
5: I believe that will heavily depend on how much the the finances of each club's affected. I mean, from my perspective, it's it's, it's hurt us for our development of our young players because um, people would have seen that we'd started to fill the bench more with our academy lads. And the more certain we was of retaining our status in the National League, the more I wanted to to blood our young players because I believe we have some very talented lads. And so the the break in the season couldn't have come at a worse time for me in a sense of giving those players opportunity. But, for, I mean, the only other thing I would say for, with that, with a lot of clubs maybe being financially hit, there could be, A, a multitude of players dropping down the level because they need to secure contracts. That's from a senior player perspective. Or, B, that they might not be going for bigger players and bigger contracts and, and therefore have to give their young players an opportunity. And I think that'll be unique to every club. Um, but... One thing I do know is that if someone's got good young players, that they they want to keep them and they want to play them.
3: Yeah, not to look at this opportunistically, Danny, but has that crossed your mind the fact that um, you know even bigger clubs in your area will have to make various cuts. Those cuts tend to come from the bottom first, don't they? So in some cases, that evolves academy players now for clubs not just in the national league but in league one and and, and league two a huge part of of what they do and bringing young players in not just into the first team but into their academy are players that are let go by academies of of bigger clubs now i we've spoken to a few people we spoke to uh gary lewin on here um a week or two ago and he was saying how Difficult it is really for even the biggest clubs to keep their academy activities going while this hiatus is is happening. Has it crossed your mind that there might be the possibility of more scholars out there who are, are looking to, to to come back into senior football?
5: Yeah, I, the, the, the issue with academy football, we, as is discussed every season, is opportunity. Every club wants to give their players the best opportunity they can to obviously develop their own and, and produce their own players, but also use the loan system, but even use them as a as, a, as market value and, and bring some revenue back into the club. With clubs maybe having to cut the, their cloth more accordingly, obviously that might mean there is an excess of players that are available now, which... We have to look at. I've been on. I've been on various um, analytical football sites today, looking at players that are going to be out of contract, trying to group them into age bands. What sort of player we want to look at? And I think as a manager, you, you're constantly doing that anyway, trying to, like you said, if there is an opportunity to to take advantage of a situation, then you have to do so. I'm quite a positive person, so if we're going to be stuck in a house all day, I might as well use it to, to do as much research as I can on these players. But again, we, we are in limbo because we don't know what club situations are. And with the government doing the amazing work they've done financially, there are clubs now that are probably not in as bad a situation as what they probably could have been in. Um, I'm, I'm obviously talking from the lower end of, of, of the league tables here. So we'll we just have to wait and see. But we've got our plan, a, B, C's, D's, etc. already if those players do become available.
3: Now, Danny, you talked about football being a small community and everyone talking around the campfire. Older shot have come from lower divisions back up towards uh, the EFL, having been in there many years ago. Um, What sort of feedback have you had from colleagues in the game that work on a a part-time basis? I mean, it must have been particularly tough for a, a lot of them because you're looking at people in some cases who've lost not just one stream of income, but two streams of income. I mean, how are some of your colleagues in that part of the game getting on?
5: I mean, we we try and keep in touch with as many people as you can during the season, and obviously with this this break that we've we've had, sort of enforced on us, it gives you a chance to catch up with with a lot of different people that you haven't maybe spoke to for a while, and it's been really tough for them because not only do they not know about their financial situation at their, their club at the minute, they don't know whether they're going to actually keep their jobs because I know there's been some clubs already that have taken voluntary relegations and withdrawn from leagues from, from, lower, from lower tiers in the game. And that's always in the back of their mind. And you just hope that the people that are in charge of the clubs that, have, that finance it have got enough sort of provisions in place that they can maintain, obviously, their lifestyle and also continue to fund the... What generally seems to be a hobby when you get down to the lower levels for the wealthier guys, it seems to be something they like to do on the side. So the mood isn't fantastic. They're trying to keep positive. Um, the fact that the relegation and promotions have been taken away has had kind of a double-edged sword effect because the ones who are in the relegation zones are over the moon because they've guaranteed their status for the following season. But the ones that obviously had an opportunity to go up a level and progress... That's been quite devastating, not only for the, the people involved because of the effort they've put in, but also financially. I think there was sponsorship and commercial deals because although they're smaller clubs, they still, that still plays a massive part of their revenue and their, and their budget. So it's been tough for them. It has been really hard.
3: Finally, Danny, I know this is a difficult question because this is a situation where there's so much uncertainty and the situation's constantly changing. But what ideally would you like to see happen with the rest of the National League season and the following National League season, 2021?
5: I'm going to work backwards if I can. Um, With the following season, I'd like to hopefully see there not to be too much disruption at all. I understand that potentially there is going to be a delay in the start of that season. But I'd like to see it start as close to the sort of original date in August as as possible because I understand everyone's sort of dilemma with this year. But if if we do decide to start this or restart this season later on in the year and that then knocks on to the following season, I think it's going to make it even more difficult to get back to normality. With regards to finishing this year, I'm not sure the best way in the sense of completing games, whether they do a, a real festival football I think Gary Neville come up with where it's a real short period of time and we all play behind closed doors and I know from a revenue perspective that wouldn't be great for clubs but I think from a finishing the season perspective that's probably the only way they could potentially do it I'd like to see the teams that deserve promotion get promotion that would be my ideal situation because I, I know as a manager that we've been up against it most of the season and fighting and if they were to make the season null and void, it kind of tarnishes the work and the progress we've made. And even though we're not in a position to get in the playoffs or go go up, what we've done this year for our for our club has been an achievement. So I would like to see them to be able to do it in a way where that the the stats around the games, the the actual um, data is recognised, is remembered, and it does go on record because. As I said, there's been a lot of work gone in from clubs, whether you're at the top of the league or the bottom of the league, and it would be a real shame if that was just diminished. So I know I've probably avoided the question quite diplomatically, but um, uh, for me, I'd <laughs> like to see him finish it in some way possible, in, and with that resulting in promotions.
3: Danny Searle there, Older Shop Manager, and thanks a lot to him for, for, for joining us again. It was, it was fascinating, Jules, and the end bit of that, there are so many different ideas for, for finishing the this, this season, aren't there? But I, I think hopefully our listeners have got a bit more of a flavour now of um, exactly how devastating it can be further down when you've got match day income. Like There's so much talk about television money, especially at the top of the European game and how that could affect teams going forward. Um, but even though football is televised at national league level match day income makes up such a greater part of a a, a team's of a club's income at, at that level and it's it's super difficult to plan ahead in that sort of situation this sort of situation
4: yeah and it's like you say it was fascinating to hear personally how Danny's been coping with it and how he's been coaching the team still and staying in touch with everyone and the different Mm. methods that they're applying. Because in this situation, no one's prepared for it. No one was expecting this to happen. So everyone's having to kind of improvise and just kind of make it up as they go along, which is why a lot of the time Danny was sort of unable to kind of give opinions on certain things because he was like, you know, this is the first time we're in this situation. It's hard to say. The thing that I found really interesting though is what Danny's take was on the impact the coronavirus pandemic has will potentially have on young players. You know, he talked about the fact that he started gradually filling his bench with more youngsters that were hungry for opportunity and he mm. wanted to kind of start getting them into the team more. the closer that they were getting to safety was probably the more likely that these young players were going to get given their chance to play in the first team. But because of financial hits, What I can take from what Danny said is he reckons that some teams might be more likely to buy younger players instead of spending big on the more experienced players. So teams might be more likely to recall youngsters that are on loan instead of buying in those more experienced, expensive players. What's your take on that, Andy?
3: Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting. And obviously, Danny is as best he can in this scenario of flux, trying to find a way to prepare for, for, for next season. And um, trying to compose his, his, his squad for next season, and um, yeah, I, I, I do believe there is the the, the possibility as well as, as as we mentioned there of maybe there being um, younger players from from bigger clubs who will get let go and maybe be available uh, to them because this is always something that a club like Aldershot would try to make the most of just like say Wimbledon would take rejects from Crystal Palace and, and Chelsea and, and, and clubs like that um, but I, I mean I, I I do fear a little bit for, for youth development at that level because we've seen you know we touched on a number of occasions with Danny about you know how you could draw parallels, even with League One and League Two clubs, and and some of those, like we've seen, Wickham F- Wanderers, for example, who've been doing very well in League One, they relatively recently got got rid of their youth team. Um, I think partly because of the um, EPPP, which um, r- restricts the amount of compensation that uh the lower division teams can can get for their players that they've they've developed and um you know I know a lot of clubs outside the top flight have looked at that and thought well how much can we really justify putting into developing players if top teams who want to get players younger and younger you know that is that is a huge part of it for them and has been for a number of years now um the, the elite teams you know, how much do you want to put into developing players that the elite teams can just come and, uh, and nick for, for for next to nothing? And and that for me has been a worrying trend in particularly English football for a, a very long time now. Because I think, however ru- well run your team in League One, League Two, or the National League is going to be, you still need that possibility, especially if you're going to put efforts time and money into developing young players um the, the the prospect of being able to sell them on at some point and add a little bit to the budget just like you would add a little bit to budget for uh, for a good cup run or whatever that's something that's absolutely absolutely invaluable to a, a team at that level and a a season changer if not changer of the financial fortunes of a club for a couple of years
4: yeah. And I think that as well, speaking to Danny, one thing that was very clear is that they, he's making the most of this time that he's got to kind of plan for the future, as you say there, Andy, and also doing lots of positive things as well. I loved what what he told us about sort of speaking to his, his parents on the phone and how that inspired him to set up this system where fans can actually get in touch with the club and they can get you know, a player or the manager, Danny himself, to actually give them a call if they're feeling lonely and isolated and just need a bit of a pick me up because it is a strange time. And we all need those things right now that can just put a a smile on our face. And on last week's Jules and Andy, we talked about some of the great things that some non-league clubs are doing in their community to sort of raise money and do good for their fans Mm. and supporters as well and um, I just wanted to mention something that's developed in the last week Um, a couple of my friends in Brighton who both play for non-league clubs have set up um, an amazing campaign which has really taken off and I'm absolutely chuffed for them and they've set up Run 5k for NHS which is a brilliant campaign to raise money for N- the NHS in Sussex. And they're starting to develop that to, to spread across the country as well now because it, it really has taken off. And they set a target of £3,000 to raise for however long it would take. And they smashed that target in less than 24 hours, which is incredible. And it's now been going for just over a week and they've raised nearly twenty grand for the NHS, which is just incredible. Just it's two amazing. less who play non-league football, and they obviously all want to keep fit. So they started it off as a football community thing where they were getting their teammates and and players from other non-league clubs around the county to run a 5K, post a photo on Instagram or Twitter and uh, basically donate to the NHS through their Just Giving page. And all of a sudden, this has just spread a lot further now. And it's just been amazing to see so many ex-pros get involved as well. So I know Stephen Warnock did it this week. Karen Carney did it. Um, Kerry Mayo who used to play for Brighton has done it. There's been loads of people involved. Russell Martin did his 5k run as well. So it's been really good to see so many people um not just in Sussex but around the country getting involved in the campaign and if if you want to do it as well then please do get involved. It's at Run 5k for NHS if you want to take part. All you got to do is go for your 5K run, take a picture, upload it to Instagram or Twitter and hashtag uh, the guys in hashtag run 5K for NHS. And the most important bit, of course, is to make sure you donate through the Just Giving page. But yeah, lots of great stuff and loads more good stories like that um, that we're hearing every single day, raising money for the amazing work that our NHS heroes are doing right now
3: you know what i'm allowed out of uh, quarantine on thursday you've given me a little Ooh. idea for my first trip out
4: please can you you really <laughs> should do that it'll be amazing yes yeah, it's, it's it's just been so nice seeing all these photos come through and and um yeah it's just incredible to see how quickly it's grown as well because as i said they only set out to raise three grand and now they're you know nearly at 20 grand in, in just over a week so it's quite amazing
3: it's incredible
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
6: This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp.
3: Your correspondence, um, we love it. We always love it. You can always join us, of course, at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, Jules and Andy at Football com. I don't know why I'm saying this because you do. Well, I'm saying it because I want more of you to do it because it's fantastic. Yeah, a- it. absolutely. It's, it's, it's something that really um, makes. Our, our week actually uh, we've got one from uh, Fraser Little here um, it says hi Jules and Andy first off I need to say thanks having listened to every one of your pods this season the quality has never dipped well thank you very much Fraser wow. um, I'm sure you will speak about the current call for Premier League players to take a wage cut do you feel like footballers are being made into scapegoats has this occurred to take the heat off owners of clubs using the furlough scheme. And finally, a shout out to all clubs paying administrative match day staff and all players already contributing resources to the current crisis. We should say, actually, we didn't mention earlier, um, Manchester United have, have, have said all along, we will continue to to pay our staff 100%, our non-playing staff, without uh, recourse to any any sort of government scheme, which I, I think is something that has to be applauded because Manchester United have been criticized for the way they've been run on a number of occasions but here they've they've, they've come through and, and and done something absolutely fantastic um, yeah I, I do feel that um, that the pressure has been put on football is a little bit unfairly at times of course people want to see them contribute um, but I heard jose font actually talking about it um, from a league perspective on um, BBC world service yesterday and He was making a quite reasonable point that, you know, it's it's not really about a whole squad taking a 30% cut or a 25% cut or whatever. There's a lot of legalese that needs to be waded through. And when you bear in mind, for example, in his position, there'll be a senior player like him who's one of the highest earners. And then you'll be someone who's just got into the first team and a teenager and has just signed their first professional contract. And should they be expected to give up the same proportion of of their wages? The thing is, people want to see action now. And I understand that, but it's more complicated than that. And I think because footballers are generally thought of as so incredibly wealthy and in a lot of cases are, especially in the Premier League. I think we can sometimes forget that their means and their financial obligations do vary. And of course, they're unionized, which is why they should be striving to to do something together. But I think for for them to to want to do that, on one hand, people want them to make the first step forward. And yet on the other hand, they want the clubs to put their foot down and say, right, you all have to take a 30% cut or you all have to take a 35% cut, which are totally different concepts.
4: I think as well at the moment, it's it's, it's really important to point out that just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to eventually happen. And exactly. I think with everything right now is this hasn't happened before so no one has a time scale of oh well this should have happened after two weeks or this should have happened after seven days we just don't know and that and I think that um you know we need to kind of give everything a bit of time here because everything is developing and some things take longer than other things to be put in place. So I think that's just really important to point out. There've been another couple of really good questions uh, that have come through on Twitter as well. Um, Jack Fuzz has tweeted and asked, in light of COVID-19, will Academy players begin to consider alternative careers and kind of along the same lines Jamie Warwick has also tweeted a question asking whether we think there are any provisions that the Premier League and other leagues could put in in case a corona style event were to happen again in the future or or is fixture congestion prohibitive? What do you think?
3: I think the fixture congestion point is is really important because ever since the start of this crisis, and I'm, I'm sure we've mentioned this before or elsewhere on, on Football Ramble Daily, is um, that the moment that there were questions over Champions League fixtures and the viability of them, there was almost a bit of a mini panic. And it's because there is no space to to put anything else. Yeah. And and so I, I I think that's a that that's a, a very good point. And everything's ground to a halt simply because it's had to, you know, real life events overtook sporting events and sports simply had to fall in line with it. Where sometimes it feels as if sport is bending real life timetables to to, to its will, which is obviously not the case in 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 this situation. Um in terms of provision being made for, for this in the future. I, I think we're, we're seeing that already. Um, we're, we're seeing the um, talk in Portugal, for example, of a, some sort of central fund um, being um, established so to, to cover for events like this in, in future. I think we'll see it written into a lot more TV contracts because um, the fact that the Belgian League came out last week and stated their intention to finish the league as it was 29 games in to a 30-game regular season before the start of the playoffs and just get rid of all that. They're able to do that simply because there's a force majeure clause in in, in the contract in which the clubs don't lose out financially and the broadcasters are adequately compensated by insurance as well. So I think a lot of um, football authorities and leagues have been criticised for um, putting the needs of football ahead of the the needs of the world in in general but as we've consistently said here you know football we, we have to have some football to come back to at some point and, and and people want that so I think even though it seems unpalatable to unpalatable to many um, you know the, the the governors of the game do have to work on some sort of solution to, to cover themselves later down the line and um, I think fulfilling TV contracts as best they can does fall into a part of that, doesn't it? Because, you know, you look at, um, I don't know, say you look at the, the Bundesliga or the Premier League or somewhere like that, you're, you're talking about an industry where you've got anywhere between sixty and 80,000 non-playing staff in the clubs in general, who are reliant, going back to our point at the beginning, on f- football for their, their living. You know, we want to yeah. try and mitigate the, the economic impact, not just in football, but in all parts of life, of the, the way this this virus has made everything come to a standstill. So I, I think we have to appreciate that as well.
4: Yeah, and look, like we're all, we're all desperate for football to come back. It's something that we're all missing as part of our lives. And as soon as it's health and safe to do that, then I'm sure there'll be a lot of us just jumping for joy that we can watch it again. And and that brings me on to Shovel James on Twitter, who has um, sent in this question. He said, "Guys, what have you been indulging in?" football related, to fill the infinite void left by this interruption. James says, I've fallen to watching classic matches whilst on the exercise bike and playing a bit of pro-evo soccer, but it's still not scratching the itch. Um, Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, James. I have started Sunderland Till I Die, the second series, um, and I'm about three or four episodes in. And like you say, it, it it's barely scratching the itch, but it's just so good to kind of get sucked in and and actually just be taken back to a time where stadiums were full of fans and seeing that passion. And and obviously the Sunderland story is just incredible, isn't it, Andy? So to kind of go back and relive what happened last season is, um, yeah, it's quite amazing. And and, and definitely just makes me want football back even more.
3: Um, I wanted to go into this mail as well, Jules, that we got from uh, Robert Pernell. Um, which says, uh, hello, Jules and Andy. You were discussing the possibility of uh, the Premier League players being locked away for a period of time to complete the remaining games of the season in a central location and the negative mental health implications this may have. This was a great point and one which I can sympathise with. I'm currently working from our flat in East London to help run our business, which supports some of the essential services. My wife and three-year-old son are staying in the South with family as my wife is pregnant and there are fewer cases of the virus in that area. When they first left, I was hit with a wave of anxiety, which I'm having to Manage every day. The stresses of this awful situation, the constant news, pressures of keeping our business running and our employees safe, alongside wanting to care for my family, supporting them where possible, and worrying about their well being is certainly taking its toll on my mental health. The amount that players earn should not be a reason to discount their mental health. They're human yeah. with families and subject to all the stresses um, the rest of the population feel. We love the Premier League, but no competition should be bigger than the players who make the game great. Well, thanks for that, Robert. Really appreciate that. And And we hope you're feeling good and um, that, that you're managing to get through it and your family are too.
4: Yeah, Robert, thank you so much for that email. And um, we really do hope that you're doing okay. And hopefully listening to this podcast every week is keeping you a bit of company because um, that's what we're here for. And as always, we love you guys getting in touch. So please continue to do that at Jules Breach and at Andy Brussel on Twitter at Football Ramble. And of course, you can email us every single week, whenever you want. And hopefully we'll get to your email at some stage, Jules and Andy at FootballRambleDaily.com. Um, Just a quick one, um, just to let you guys know, if you've listened to Jim Campbell's Fantasy 5 Aside and you love it, or perhaps you've never listened to it before, why not give it a go tomorrow because... I recorded My Fantasy Five Aside with Jim. And it's a bit bonkers, Andy. It's a bit weird. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. There's a few unpredictable ones in there, um, but we had such a laugh recording it. So um, give it a go. It's going to be on all the usual feeds that you find your your podcasts on. So the same Football Ramble daily feed. So whether you listen to this on Acast or whatever other platform you use for your podcasts, uh, make sure you give that a go tomorrow. Um, It's My Fantasy Five Aside with a few surprises, let's just say that.
3: Well, Jules, I'm very much hoping that uh, Paul Stavely's question will get uh, sort of semi-answered on there. He's <laughs> tweeted, if a Brighton and Wimbledon all-time Dream 11 played each other, who would win? But that, actually, mm. sc- scrub that. We know, yeah. we know the answer, don't we? It's going to be the Wimbledon all-time 11. The, the only question really is, do you go with Hearts and All-Fashioning?
4: Mm, oh you can't ask me that because i work with (laughs) artson
3: your answer then (laughs) there you go
4: there we go that's what i've picked um thanks everyone for getting in touch as always don't forget to listen to five aside tomorrow and andy and i will be back same time same place next week have a good one mate this
6: was a stakhanov production